Hey, what's up everyone? Adam here. Welcome to the seventh episode of the Sad Noz CEDH podcast, Gatekeeping and Who Has the Keys. Joining me today is my co-host, Kian, otherwise known as Baraless. Yo, yo, yo. New to the podcast, Mike, better known as Shadow Z. How's it going, everyone? And returning to the pod, Bryce, or better known as Valium. This guy. <laughs> Before we get started, we have a few triggers to resolve in our upkeep. First up, shout out to our patrons, and thank you to everyone who supports us. Special thanks to Granddad and Cold Ramen, our $25 supporters, and Geo Justin for being our $50 supporter. You can find our Patreon link in the description below if you would also like to become a patron. We are now available on all major podcast platforms. If you're listening on YouTube, in the description below are our links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our Discord. Our Discord has been growing every week, and we're up to 70 members currently, so please come and join us. In other big news, I, Poppyphobia, have been participating in the MLC, and it's been going great. I've really been holding down the team by going 0-2 throughout my gameplay debut. Woo-hoo! Taking L's like a champ. Yes, putting the sad in sad noise. Some other really exciting news is I will also be guest starring on Mental Misplay's stream Tuesday, July 19th, playing with Alan, Mikey, and Rose. You can also find me participating in Punt City August 27th through the 28th in Pennsylvania. It's a CDH tournament hosted by Eminence Gaming. The tournament has currently sold out and has over $4,000 in prize support, which is amazing for the community. So come and find me there. And finally, November Oktoberfest. That's such a mouthful. I like Thanksgiving better. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening November 18th through the 20th in Philadelphia. And that is another CDH tournament hosted by Monarch Gaming. And most of us at Sadnaws are planning to attend. Monarch will be releasing the tickets soon, so make sure to come and grab some to come jam some games with us. Now, to get into the topic of today's episode. Gatekeeping is an inherent problem that exists in the game of Commander. A lot of emotions, opinions, and ideas are involved when playing this format that can lead to a lot of issues. But what actually is gatekeeping? So, to define gatekeeping, I have the dictionary definition. We did this with the last episode. I think it helped us a lot to establish kind of a common ground for what this topic is about. So I'll read the dictionary definition the of gatekeeping here. Yeah, the king-making episode. All right, so for gatekeeping, the definition of gatekeeping is the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. So in regards to CDH, limiting access to the format as a whole, which you know clearly we think is an inherent problem because we're talking about it today. So I think we're going to start off with you, Mike. Um, what are some questions that you have for us regarding gatekeeping? So one of the first things that I have for you guys is does having a community, you know, a competitive EDH gatekeep or at or annex a majority of the commander player base? Could you run that one by me again? <laughs> does having a competitive EDH gatekeep or annex a majority of the commander player base? Hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Keen? I gotta think on mine. <laughs> I can go first. So I think what you're saying is, does having a competitive format for Commander, so EDH as a competitive format, does that gatekeep or annex a majority of the Commander player base? I think that that kind of does annex a whole large subset of the community when you consider that some people don't want to or are intimidated by competitive play. When you consider that 
you're separating like regular EDH with competitive EDH, a lot of people get turned off to the idea that you have to be playing on edge the entire time that you're playing the game, or you have to be constantly wary or aware or thinking of play patterns ahead of time. Like it's really intimidating to play this format. And I think sometimes just the name CEDH can really annex a whole group of people. I'm pretty sure that's the intent of it too. Cause I mean, the C is like, hey, we're EDH, but we're separate. I mean, it's kind of part of the goal of CDH. Like let's get all these casual players over in their own corner and put ourselves in our own corner. That way we can play with like-minded people. It, it, it's almost like it's an inherent, it's a it's a systematic gatekeep. Yeah. Like you're trying to systematic annex the casual players away from the CDH players. You're essentially cutting off the fat of the player base for those that want to play the competitive nature of the game. Yeah. And, and, and it is kind of like a, I wouldn't say like a mountain to climb, but kind of along those same lines for like a casual player that kind of wants to get into the format but they don't really know like what competitive is. Because I know many of us have played like other 60 card formats, which is yes, really competitive, and you and you try to think like two to three turns ahead. And in EDH, it's really hard, because it's not one-on-one. -on -one. You have three other players besides yourself to worry about. So it's kind of hard to guess play patterns and like try to like produce a mindset that allows you to either think ahead or allows you to, like, I wouldn't, like guest play patterns or something like something along those lines. I, I think like something that we're trying to establish is that it, it it's it's clearly purposeful. So yeah. someone is clearly like with calling it CDH, it's purposeful to separate ourselves because I think it comes into like the whole idea of like the rule zero of CDH yeah. and how we come with an expectation and we come with some guidelines that like when you sit down at a table, this is what we're playing. We're right? trying to win. Yeah. But I think that that can be really, really um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, intimidating, maybe, to new players. And I think it's unwelcoming to new players to our format. A thousand percent. I agree. And I think that, not like that the name is inherently wrong, because I like the name CDH. I think it sounds sick. I think it sounds cool. But I think that there's almost like a, an inherent stigma that comes with it. I think also you have to take into consideration, just kind of going along with the points you're saying, the perspective that they're taking. Like, if you're playing your mono red aggro deck every single week, uh, week at a casual tournament and um, with casual you do have players that bring somewhat not exactly competitive but like high power decks they just want to win but they're not good enough to take their own and competitive they'll just come every week curb stomp you right and you're like why would I want to go play competitive it's just more of these guys but it's not so much that you're coming at it and you're at one level and they're at like six levels above you and it's like, whoa, that's an overwhelming power difference. When you're all coming in with the same mindset, you're all playing at a generally similar power level. So that huge distance isn't as pronounced. And I think people think that there is that huge distance to climb. Yeah, like the stigma is, is what people are viewing, yeah. when in reality, it's, it's not like that at all. Yeah. There's, there's a mutual understanding and a mutual respect at the table. But because there's this already pre-existing notion or idea that this is what CDH is, people are scared of that and intimidated by that. And they don't want to try the format even in the first place. Yeah, I know that absolutely. when we go to our LGSs and we play on Friday nights and we, we run like this little CDH community at our local LGS, 
there's a whole other side of the building that it's just casual players and they almost like look to us like we are aliens like we're like yeah. we're weird because we play competitively and at a high level and uh -huh. I think that that is kind of I wish that it wasn't the case and I wish that there was more of an understanding that like hey we play the same game but we play it with a different rule zero or a different expectation at the table and that if you ever want to try that come in and try it and we can donate or help or give you a deck to try and it would make that stigma kind of go away but it's really hard to do that when millions of people have this mindset yeah uh mike you got I mean, something you know, to say I, I can i can say for sure that that's the case with our lgs at least because i i have a lot of people from the casual side that do tell me hey we want to get in the cdh but you know the stigma is there i i do know some people that do have a personal experience of the stigma that's like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to play this because of past experience. And that, like, we can get into that later well, on. Well, like, like a pub stomper is going to ruin that. It's going to ruin yeah. the experience. And it's like, going to give you a really bad taste wait, when, in your mouth. Yeah. When casual players think of CDH, typically, like when you ask them, oh, uh, what are your issues with CDH? It's always, oh, it's a turn two to three format. And yes, decks can win turn two to three. But it's a lot more like meat of the game in those first couple turns. I know like... James Scrollmob, he's the guy that did the CDH metagame project where he analyzed like how the format breaks down, how games go and things like that. And like the average CDH game ends on like turn six or seven. And like when you think of casual games, casual games end on like turn eight. No, 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 <laughs> not even. Casual games are ending on turn eight or nine. Really? It's not that much of a difference. Think about it. A whole rotation around the table, like all of a sudden some dude's got five, ten elves out and a crater hoof, you know, it's not that hard to do on turn ten. Yeah, so, power creep of cards has really come a long way. It's brought casual to a level that CDH kind of used to be at when we started. Mm -hmm. I remember in 2015 yep. when you're paying a CDH deck, like sure, certain decks can can get there really fast and whatever, but it was also just like, let's see how fast I can drop the Crater Hoof. Let's see how fast I can try to go off and win here. Whereas like nowadays, like that 2015 CDH is now 2022 casual because the power creep is just so... Yeah. So large. 100%. I, I see it every time that I go off and play casual here and there, where it's just, hey, you know what? By turn six, someone's already getting ready to crater hoof. And it's like, okay, well, you know. it's Yeah, the format's not that different, you know? We're all playing the same cards. Like, you know, your, your red mono red pirates deck runs a dockside in it. So does my CDH deck. You know what I mean? We're all playing the same cards. We're just playing them a different way. And I think that there's just this overwhelming idea that cdh is some big scary town that if you walk into you're going to get stomped on immediately i, yeah. I, f I feel that that's the general stigma behind it is that there is this giant monster behind cedh that the casual folks look up to us kind of as the monsters like you said adam or so, you know we don't want to play with these guys because it is the turn the turn two turn three format mm -hmm. where the game's over before they even can play the game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the dream. I want to go off turn two, <laughs> yeah. but everybody has interaction, so it's like... Never works out. It, it never works out. And everyone's playing at that speed. It just turns into a Western shootout. Basically. You have to wait. Like, all right, who wants to go first? Reference, Fla reference flash meta. Yeah. You're going to do it? You're going to do it? You're going to do it? I, uh, no gemstone? Okay. <laughs> I think that that's like... There's no flash anymore. We're good. All right. Thank God. I, I think that that's a, a, um, a, a fun conversation to have is just like, is... Is does CDH itself carry an inherent um, gatekeeping type of tonality to it? Despite yeah. being there, despite yeah, I think though that that's kind of 
a real generalization, right? And Very I think that so. we can get a little bit more specific about the actual gatekeeping that exists in our community. So Bryce, I think you've got something that you'd like to say. Okay, so um, we've talked a lot about um, gatekeeping as like, oh, power levels. There's also the huge financial burden, right? So my question is, uh, what are your guys' opinions about the financial requirements of CH and how this creates a barrier for new players? Is this a form of gate gatekeeping or is this just a requirement of the game? And as a follow-up question, uh, is this something that, a, that we as a player should accommodate? So when you say like financial burden, do you mean like the cost of playing the game? Yeah, so say take your average CDH deck, you're looking at at minimum, I would say two to five thousand dollars. Average, more likely, is five thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, like that's like it's your, been going up. Yeah, and I think that that for one is a huge, like, I would I don't know if it gatekeeping. It's a huge burden on a player, and especially a new player, to say, hey, you want to play this format? Give me five thousand dollars, and then I'll give you this fragile deck that you don't want to shuffle because your cards are so expensive, <laughs> and say, here you go, and now let's play the game. I think that that's that can definitely be interpreted as kind of a, a gatekeeping, uh, like like it's almost it's like when we look back at the definition of gatekeeping, right? It says controlling or limiting access to something. Yeah. Financial limitations are a huge problem in CDH, and you are limiting access to the game because someone can't afford a deck to even play. So um, I know that in our in the meta, right, of yeah. the CDH mindset, the general hive mind idea is that, oh, we're cool with proxying cards. If you can't afford it, proxy it, and we'll, we'll let you play whatever you want to play, when you want to play it, because we know that there's that financial burden. The problem is, is that that doesn't exist IRL. And what I mean by that is, like, when you go to a game store, a lot of game stores have proxy rules that you can't proxy. Yeah. And it's hit or miss wherever you go. It's 50-50. You, one game store is like, sure, play what you want because we just want you to play. And another game store might say, no, no, no proxies allowed. allowed. We want your business. Exactly, yeah. which I don't think is inherently wrong, but it does kind of keep the format in a way where like, I can't even go to my LGS and play because I can't afford a deck to play. Yeah. And if I don't have a good enough deck, that goes back to our earlier question, well, I'm not good enough for CDH, so why would I play? And I think that's a problem with new players especially because I know a couple players at our, uh, at our local LGS will come over and watch our games and will fetch like a duel and I see their like facial expressions are like, oh, what? They, you got they have a duel what land. So, yeah. so it's kind of like, I think like newer players especially, at least to like with the ones that are interested in CDH are like, okay, they're playing duels. That means I have to have these to play the game. And I think yeah. in, inherently, like, that's kind of true, but it's not. Because you can still play, like, mono decks are still very prevalent and, like, are, are pretty they're viable. Are, are they, they're, they, good. They're, they're viable, <laughs> but um, to play, like, all the flashy stuff that you see, like, Blue Farm, Thrasios, uh, TNT, Tim Natana, all these four color decks. That are, like, $10,000 up. Plus, yeah. I, I think. Way more. Like, Nowadays, yeah, unfortunately, and, and I think that's what really like what they see because that that's mainstream is like dual lands, all the best cards in the every card you can play because there's really there's a ban list, but it's not really like a big ban list. Like who cares if you can't play Power Nine? I got all this other crap I can play that from goes just as fast. Yeah. yeah. So from my own personal experience, I remember when I first started playing CDH, like. I had a slivers deck, like a five color slivers deck, and I would bring it to the table and I would feel like I didn't belong. 
even though I have shock lands and fetch lands and 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 mana rocks, you know, but I didn't have, you know, um, your mana crypts or your mox diamonds. I had signets and talismans, and I remember sitting at a table feeling like I didn't belong because every what I could afford was this, but what everybody else had was so much better. And 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 I remember feeling the need like I have to spend money to play this game, yeah. otherwise I will never win and I'll never keep up. And I think that that's that's a huge sign of gatekeeping because and and what's funny is it's hard because how do you how do you solve that problem you can't because cards are expensive right and you have to play those cards or you don't have to play them but it, it, it does directly impact your deck's performance to play those cards so inherently like it is gatekeeping because people can't afford that how are they going to play and i think there's two sides of the coin there's one side that LGS is like you were saying before, LGS is allow proxies. They're like, okay, just play whatever. And I know most play groups are like, okay, yeah, you can play CH with us. I don't care. You can have written out proxies. They just care more if you're a good player than if you have a good wallet. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, at least our play group is, who cares how big your wallet is? We base other people like... We base our opinions on player skill. Yeah. And yeah. I think that with the other side of the coin is that and LGS is still a business, right? Yeah. So they have to make money off singles and other. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think we've talked to a lot of LGS owners where they say like games, games and play, like play days and stuff like that are not where the profits made. It's on the amount of cards that I sell, specifically sealed and single products. So like I understand the rules of like, hey, no proxies allowed, whatever. Um, but it sucks when it comes to like tournament play when you're trying to play in a tournament and you're like, I've been playing Tim Nathrasios online for months, but I can't afford $15,000 to buy a deck. Yeah. So yeah. now I'm going to go to this tournament and I have to eliminate all the cards I've been practicing with because I can't afford a Mox Diamond for $700. I can't afford an LED for 600 bucks. Mm -hmm. So how am I going to play the game? And I know that some places like Monarch specifically has been giving out playtest cards and trying to help people with that issue, but it's still an inherent issue. And I think that cost basis is a big problem in the I format. I do want to address the second half of that. Um, so as a game store, um, you have to make money. That's just how you stay afloat. I don't think we can really judge a game store. Like, oh, you make people actually have to play with real cards? It's like, yeah, that's how I make my money. But as a player, should we be accommodating that? Because like, if I come in and I've spent like six grand plus on my deck and someone walks up and they spent $20 to print all their cards, like... It's like, wow, I feel like I've been cheated. Why didn't I just spend 20 bucks? I think that, yeah, that's like, oh, man, that's such a hard topic to discuss. Because it it, it, there is that feeling. There is, even, I am all for proxying. I love proxying. I play proxy decks all the time when I want to try a deck before I buy a deck and so on and so forth. But there is that feeling where like you get beat at a table by a guy who's got a 100% printed out deck you're like, what the fuck, man? Like, I just spent 20, you know, I just spent $6,000 on my deck and you whooped me with a FedEx trip. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it feels really bad. You know, as, as someone that, uh, it's no surprise to our group that I don't make as much as blah, 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 blah. But it's one of those things where, you know, I, I, I came into the group with, at that, point, at that time, Mad Farm, where half my deck was proxied. You mm -hmm. guys allowed me to come in and play and it's one of those things where I, I'm 100% behind proxying, but at the same time, it's one of those things where, like, you know, 
I used to be where, okay, you know, give it like six months of proxying. I, I want some progress on, build, on buying the deck and going from there. Otherwise, tear it apart and go off with something else. I think that that's where there's a good amount of leverage given a time frame on it. Because then we can go from there as, okay, well, are you just using the proxies as a way to play? Or is it that you're trying to build the money to buy the cards at I don't that even, time? I don't even think there's an inherent problem with proxying in the first place. Like, I don't care if you have a proxy deck for 30 years and you're playing with that deck all the time. I think it's just like there is a sense of like a feel bad <clears throat> like to someone who did spend a ton of money because it's... Like as much as you love like playing EDH, like spending money feels bad regardless. And Absolutely. like sometimes like you sit in your room and you're like, man, I spent six hundred dollars on this piece of cardboard. What is wrong with me? You know what I mean? So it, it it amplifies that when you're playing against someone who is being, I guess, the, maybe more financially responsible and just printing their cards since it's accepted by the community. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think like you don't need to put a restriction on it either. Like oh, you can only proxy for six months. And that should be an acceptable time frame. But I think that what you were saying earlier, like, don't put the onus on the game store, right? Like, it's not the game store's fault that these rules are in place because Watsi also enforces a lot of these rules. Yeah. But, and as, an, as a business, you have to uphold a certain standard, right? I don't think it's the LGS's responsibility, maybe, to be as... Um, inclusive to the format right like they have to uphold their own standards and protect their store so proxy rules are in place for that i do think it's a player responsibility to be accepting and be like hey you might not have enough money to buy this deck but you want to enjoy the format i think it is up to us to say that's totally fair and you deserve to sit at the table with us 100 but there's a lot of people in the community that don't think that way and i think that's the gatekeeping problem is there's a lot of people that want this to be a pay to win format they want you to have to buy every card and play everything and physically own it. Because I will say, right, if you force your opponents to own every single card, if you have a bigger wallet, there's an inherent advantage to that. And you can actually win more games because yeah, you're forcing absolutely. them to play lower than, say, their skill level is. Yeah, which I don't think is fair. Yeah, and that, That's how my last uh, play group was, was where it was everything was play the win. You have to have the real things. And it became one of those inherent, okay, well people can't keep up because you have the people that on the side they're selling cards and whatnot as their own private store they can just afford more exactly they can afford more yeah and i yeah so i think that that i think that is a real problem in the format and i think certain things like when you consider like financial investments right so people who are doing buyouts on cards and and like manipulating market prices on cards they're almost like like unintentionally or secondhand gatekeeping the format because now all of a sudden, a card that just got printed, that's getting bought out, something like Ledger Shredder, which is a $40 card, that's a good CDH card. And it's a actually lot of... $21 for the full art. It dropped. Oh, really? It's not yes. that expensive. Well, foil? Maybe, oh. maybe foils, yeah. but... Either way, the, it was like when it, it was... It was, it was 20, like 30, spiked hard. Yeah, yeah it, it spiked to like $27, and it's like, shit, there's already a barrier to entry now, even on the newest cards that are still in print to this day. Yeah. So it's really unfortunate that that exists, and I do think it's a problem. Yeah. So. And there is one more thing that I want to bring up. So I'm s being ingrained in CDH. I am accepting of proxies, right? Yeah. Um, but I do encourage people to still buy the cards. Like eventually, I'm like, yo, just pick up that card. Um, I think there is a line where I encourage proxies up to a point where I'm like, you know what? You've been playing this for how long? 
just start saving up and putting money towards this. Because I do encourage people to spend money on the game. Like that's what I do think that, yeah, I do think that that's important. I think that eventually your goal should be to own your deck. Yeah. Uh, Because like, I don't know, it feels good. It feels really rewarding to be like, I own my deck. When I got, when I bought every single piece to Jessica Ishai, 100% and I started buying foil pieces and things, it felt good because I'm like, wow, like I worked for this and now I have this to show for it which is cool and it's rewarding and I think everybody should have that feeling and it's cool to show up to a place that says no proxies allowed and you're like yeah buddy I know I've got my deck here you know I mean, like there is some reward to that, that too and that, that's kind of what I poked at a little bit ago with the whole six month thing like this this quote unquote six month thing was something that I put on myself for one of my last decks where it was you know I'm going to give myself six months to buy the entire deck that way the proxies are gone and people can actually see hey I'm not just holding out with all of this. And I understand that some people cannot do that. And that's 100% understandable because yeah, you likely like we're talking about here, there there is a real gatekeep to the financial side of this game. Magic as a whole is gatekept by the finances. It's not just an EDH form. problem. It's exactly. modern, legacy, vintage, Magic the Gathering. It's modern as a or Magic as a game. Yeah. Even standard yeah, there's a, there's a YouTuber, uh, I forget what his name is, but he always starts his videos with like, welcome fine enjoyers of expensive luxury magic cardboard. Historian. Yeah, magic, magic historian. historian. And yeah. I laugh so hard, because it is, it is, it's a it's a luxury hobby, right? Yep. And so it is, I think it's a, it's a magic problem more than it's a CDH problem. I think CDH does a good job at mitigating the problem because they are so proxy friendly and work really, really hard to make it affordable. Um, but I do think that that there's a stigma that exists, especially to newer players coming in. Like, I can't afford a Mox Diamond. I can't afford an LED. How am I going to play this game? And I, it's hard to try to say, like, well, you don't have to. You could just get a fake one, and we'll let you play with us. Mm-hmm. But to a lot of people, they don't want to play with fake cards. So yeah. that is an issue that I think it, 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 it's difficult to fix. Yeah, and I don't have a solution for it, but it's just interesting to point out. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. I'll always encourage people to just buy cards eventually. Yeah. I'm not going to set some hard and fast rule, but like, I I want to see what you can do, but I don't really want to see what your wallet can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Kian, I think that you have another opinion on gatekeeping in CDH. Um, so, since we already covered like proxies, right? Mm-hmm. So, say we can, like, everybody can play with proxies or whatever. Um, so, I want to talk about gatekeeping in terms of suboptimal card choices and play patterns a player can do and what defines an optimal card or cards. So what, what do you mean by that? Okay, so say I'm playing like a Grixis variant, but I'm not on Adnaz or Honorable Breach. And I think those cards are hard to digest. I think... <clears throat> What? Just so we can bring it down, because different decks play on different archetypes. Correct. Let's just say we directly compare, because I know we were talking about it earlier, um, Serum Visions and Preordain. Yeah. They are almost the same card, but one is slightly better than the other. Right. Say someone wants to include the other one because the other. And I'm like, if we ignore financials, even though it's not that expensive, I feel like there's a certain point that unless something in your deck is playing on, that difference, you should try and move to the better version. 
I, okay, so I think we need to reanalyze the question, right? Yeah, it was kind of a loaded question. It was very so, loaded. So you're, so <laughs> like you're a saying, potato. <laughs> you're saying like, like, like when it comes to CDH, yep. when you are building a deck or making card choices, people are going to criticize your choices and try to like tell you what you should be playing in your deck and calling them suboptimal choices and kind mm. of kind of stunting your creativity while you're building. Kind of telling you, why would you play that? That's not optimal when you could be on this card instead. Yep. Why is that not? Why are you not on Adnos? This is the best strategy in the format. Correct. You and, should be playing this. And this ties into CDH is a it, the C and CDH could stand for community because we're a hugely community based format and we're very like CDH as a whole. Everybody has discords. Everybody talks to each other. It's it's a hive mind. So when you have an idea like, hey, I want to be playing this card because XYZ, and you post it on Discord, everybody would be like, no, you need to play this optimized card that everybody's been playing for like eight months now because um, it does the best thing that it, that it can do. And you're stupid for thinking that that card will do better than this card. A good example of this that's really recent is a card like Deep Gnome Terromancer. So Deep Known Terramancer is that card where you can search your library for a planes whenever an opponent has two lands enter the battlefield at the same time. So like, or in the same turn. It's whenever turn. they cheat a land into play. Yeah, so like when, when they fetch. Yes. If, if two lands enter the battlefield the same turn. So if you yep. put down a fetch, then fetch, two lands have entered the battlefield, you get to search your library for a planes card and put it into play. Yep. So that card is pretty playable. Like a lot of people can play it. A lot of decks can utilize it. If you have a good basic land count, especially basic planes, it's really, really useful and helpful. It also hits non-basics because it's just searching for the type. Yes. Yep. But the it's problem is that a lot of people don't think it's a good card. Yep. And a lot of people are criticizing players for playing it in their decks. They're like, why the hell are you on the Deep Gnome Terramancer? That card fucking sucks. You have three planes in your deck, three fetchable targets for it. Get the fuck out of here. You don't know how to play CDH. You don't know how to build your deck. <laughs> And it's like, yo, whoa, dude. That's, that's one card, one card choice in the deck, and it doesn't define my play patterns, or it doesn't define what my deck does. And I, and I feel like people in the format really harp on the one card, right? Yeah. The one card in your deck that's bad. Why aren't you running Time Twister? Every blue deck should have a Time Twister in it, and, right? And, and that brings back to like the second point of my question. What defines an optimized card? Yeah, and I think that that's a really... Like it is. I think that could be question. a question by itself. Question. Yeah, but I think that I think that's a good question to ask because it's like, what, like, how, why are you defining what's optimal and suboptimal? Now, obviously, the community has come to a consensus that certain cards are optimal, right? But like, when you think of an Adnos strategy, like, okay, where do you start cutting the fat? Where is a two CMC card better than a three CMC card? Where do the statistics come into play? You have to analyze every little thing, every little stuff, get your mana base low enough. Like, there's a lot to take in when analyzing a strategy. And it, it, it's really disingenuous when someone's building a deck or showing a deck and um, you're like, hey, tell me your thoughts on my deck. And someone harps on one card choice that you made. And, yeah. and really makes you feel as though you are an idiot, per se. Like It's not the deck that has a problem. It's you that has a problem. It becomes personal. Yeah, it, very much so. And, and, and it's really, uh, like, I think gatekeeping in general, this topic, we're kind of discussing, like, um, new players, right? Like, what, what helps new players enter the format? What helps us grow the format? What helps us become more popular as a, as a community? And when you look at things like that, like 
that's a huge turnoff to new players. Nobody wants to be told that their ideas are stupid. Nobody wants to be told that they're an idiot. Nobody wants to be told that they don't know how to play well. And I think that something that you ran into, Kian, I know in like certain deck-specific discords is people kind of shitting on your ideas or your discussion topics simply because you're you're asking a question. Yeah. And it's like, why are you even asking that question, you idiot? Don't you know the answer? And it's like, imagine being a new player and you're like, hey guys, I don't know why Adnaz is so good. Can someone tell me? And they're like, this Read is the a card, idiot. Yeah, this yeah. is a you're a troll, dumbass. Go back like, to modern, figure it out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like that's a huge, huge turnoff, and it's totally gatekeeping the format. Yeah. And the problem is that like there's not a lot of resources for new players to go to for that advice. Like you go to a deck specific Discord, like I want to play this deck, I want to learn about it the best way I can, and you and, get blasted, and people are just shitting on you over and over and, and over. And, again. and it's not even that. Well, it is that, but pe- like you will ask a question, and people. Will just shit on you. They'll, the, meme, the, they'll yeah. meme. They'll meme the whole time. Like, the, dog cack, dog cack, you're the, an idiot. No, no, no. <laughs> they won't even, they'll meme you, but they'll give you a, a non answer. You'll ask a question, they'll be like, okay, I do this because this. They just gave a statement. They're not, they're not know, helping you they're, learn. They're not anything. helping me yeah. learn. And like, yeah. I am, have been playing this format for a while. So, like, ha- having a person say, you should just learn how to play the deck better. It's like I've been playing this, like this archetype for six, six to five years. Like, I I'm not new to this uh, archetype, and you telling me like, oh, just learn the deck. Like, being coming from a person that's been playing a while, now taking that in the mindset of a newer player just coming in and experiencing this toxicity when trying to learn and sit down and actually gather information yeah. is just kind of counterintuitive. Like you, you have the experience. You're like, oh, okay, I'm actually not an idiot. He's just kind of giving me some sass here. Yeah. And for a new player, they've been like, oh shoot, maybe I am the idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And like it just or, comes or, across. Or so I'm not good enough to play because this guy called me an idiot. Yeah. yeah. So why would I want to play this format where everybody's a dick and everybody's a jerk? Yeah. And it's it's so unfortunate because there are like resources that new players can utilize and yeah. communities that are really beneficial. But the the major like the first community that you're gonna go to is the one that you're gonna seek for advice. Like if you're playing a, if you want to play a specific deck, you're gonna go to a deck specific Discord yeah. and ask about it. And people make you feel like you're dumb, you know, for no reason. Or they'll be like, Hey, I'm new to CDH. Why are we playing Force of Will? And, 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 and they're they gonna say be. they're gonna say. Oh, if you don't know, maybe you shouldn't play yeah. CDH. And, and, and I think it paints the community like in very a, toxically. It, very toxically. It and creates and, and, that and, stigma. And I don't think it's a majority of like the actual player base. Because if you go like locally, you find like a play group. Like there'll be a couple outliers. Like oh, this like one or two people are toxic, but that's out of like ten people. But it's so, always the toxic ones that respond. Yes, yes, and, yes. That's not they, they want to pick fights. Okay, they're they're not that's okay in the head. They're, they're something's up with them. Oh. I mean, I will say that there was a time where I was on that fringe where I was building a new deck where I wanted to just get some advice on it. Mm. And I actually did nearly quit building the deck for for you guys at Sithis that I nearly broke up Mm. because of the specific discord that everyone was just toxic about, the questions that I had on it. And there were like things, okay, well, I wanted to try this. And it was like, no, you have to do on this. And you guys have seen 
the things because of how I've done things on the deck, how unique it is on that aspect. Mm-hmm. Well, certain and, cards. And as in franchise players, I think we're guilty of it too. Absolutely. Like it's not like oh, oh yeah, we're we saints. Yes. Yeah. We're not. Saints. We're not saints, and we don't like. We're not like oh, we're the perfect example of yeah. how you should conduct yourself. Even in our own Discord, <laughs> sometimes like yeah. you fall into that trap of like someone's like oh, I want to try this, and it's like well, this is I think just better, yeah. and it's like like if you just say that and you leave it at that like you're really invalidating that person's opinion Absolutely. and we've yeah. learned over time that like okay maybe it's like hey you want to do that i suggest that you should do this instead but explain to me why you think that that is a good strategy I and let's absolutely. discuss it and talk about it and maybe we both can learn something new yeah you know, like I, i'm very guilty of that myself i think explaining it I think our group specifically does it well because we'll be like, "Ha! I just play Blue Farm." Eh, like, like, but <laughs> we know what's going on. We're making yeah. fun. we're making yeah. fun, but like, if someone asks a serious question, like, "Why? Why are you second. playing these cards?" and be like, "Okay, this here, is yeah." Here's our exclamation: "Like, okay, thanks for the advice." Because if you go to any other Discord, some random on the internet is like, "No, just play this because this." You have the audacity to ask this. Yeah, like, shame on you. Bam. <laughs> no, so. I think that that's like that's something to establish very clearly. Like like nobody's perfect and everybody's going to make that mistake. And when you've been playing for a while, sometimes you're going to look at something and be like, "I don't fucking get it." Agreed like I don't I just don't know what I'm supposed to say here or do here. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that the community though as a whole is improving. I think even like in certain discords that we're in, we're getting better discussions out of it. We're getting better um, responses and people are a little bit more um, easy to Con- they're more forgiving with. yes and I think that that's because uh, like the community has been working really hard to try to combat that stigma because we want new players to come in we're growing so CDH is probably besides Pioneer like the fastest growing format uh, if you want to call it a separate format I know that that's a whole problem other itself. discussion yeah yeah it's a whole other discussion, discussion but another day. like CDH is growing super super fast and people are like hey there is a benefit to this rule zero. There is a benefit to sitting down, knowing the expectations, and playing the game. Mm-hmm. So you want to welcome new players, and you want to help everybody out. And it's it's really it's really difficult to, I think, for a lot of people to explain their thoughts, especially in our community. Yeah. So I think that like there's a lot of growth to happen, but I think that it's getting there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does suck when you're trying to build a deck and you've got a card yeah, like in yeah. Baby Blue Farm. People crap on you all the time for like, why are you playing explosive engineer? You know, engineered explosives and stuff like that. And it's like, I have a reason for it, dude. There's like, 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 right. like there are reasonings, and it sucks that you have to explain yourself, and people still don't want to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. I will say that although it kind of sucks, um, all the crap I've had to kind of go through as I built this deck. Um, has really helped me get my reasonings together. So when someone says, hey, why are you playing this card? I'm like, oh, I've already got my ideas together. Here you go. Here's the paragraph. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a it's almost like a tough love kind of thing. It like, is a tough love. Like it's, pre- it's prepared you for the worst and now you're ready for it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that we can do a lot as a community to help like new players feel more comfortable. And I think creating those like safe spaces and places yeah. like that, like we always say, like, hey, if you're new, come join our Discord, and we will totally talk to you about what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, we'll totally help you build your deck, and we'll totally have a conversation about it, and 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 work on card choices together. And I think that that's something that a lot more people should be willing to do. So, you and, know, and I think Magic as a community as a whole has been trying to, um, not not produce, but like cultivate more like uh, positivity in, in like discords yeah. and like other platforms so yeah yeah 
and just learning how to convey your ideas. Yeah, your thoughts and opinions. I think that it's it's really hard to communicate over the internet, yeah. especially. And, and I, I know think, a lot of people don't oh, want to man. just because they're like, here, let me just throw my thought out there. I don't have time for this. I want to go. Yeah. And it's it's not productive. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I think that was a really good like question to have like because like that that is a big gatekeeping issue i think that exists in the community yeah i don't know if we really stayed on topic but i feel like we got a lot of good ideas (laughs) yeah um so kian i think you know what time it is all right hell yeah baby all right today we are doing flavor text of the week um but we're doing it in a newer format i guess you would say but uh we're gonna be doing a pack giveaway to the person that guesses the flavor text right so no one will guess on this podcast what the flavor text is. I'm saying Finally. Yes. <laughs> well, Spencer's not here, so you guys are pretty fucked anyways. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I think, I think uh, the best way to format this is that you're going to read the flavor text of the week. And because I run the YouTube, the first comment. We run the YouTube. I'm saying, Our YouTube. I'm saying the freaking. Our <laughs> YouTube. Anyways. Communism. The, the first. You're going to let me do my segment? I'm, I'm telling him how, how, how are you going to determine ca- who gets it? This I'm is what we're paying it. for, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it all right the first the people that comment in the youtube videos that see it see that view us on youtube the uh people that comment we will review wait the people that comment non-sad Nas team <laughs> the people that comment um if you guess it right uh we'll get get a hold of you the people on apple podcast or spotify um you can join our discord which is in the youtube link below or just go to the youtube video and comment there and we'll get a hold of you so the flavor text of the week. This should be good. Your own fragility is your undoing. I am merely the one to expose it. We're not allowed to say anything to this. Nope. Dang. CDH playable. That's the only hint you all get. I think it's a fairly easy one. Um, kind of an OP card. Not going to lie. Um, <laughs> sw- swinging it back to Adam. I feel, I, <laughs> I'm just thinking about this. Like, this is funny. Because, <laughs> like... It's literally just like, who can Google the flavor text first? No, gonna, ooh, they found out to use Google. <laughs> literally, it's in that like, sheet step. You know. It's literally, go, just go to the gatherer. Yeah, we'll have, to figure out, we'll have to figure out a better way to do this in the future. Hey, listen, this is something new. And then the winner gets a pack, I think, a pack. Uh, one of our Sadnos team members said he wanted to do like a little giveaway, a little something-something. Um, we don't know what the pack is going to be yet. But don't expect like a Portal Three Kingdoms pack to just to, to just pop up. Send some expectations. Um, so <laughs> leave a comment down below. First comment is who we're gonna give the pack to. Um, so Mike, back on this topic of gatekeeping, uh, I think you have another question that you'd like to bring up. So let me ask you guys: Is the DDB a form of gatekeeping preventing new ideas and new players from entering the formats? Ooh, that's a spicy take. So. The way I view the DDB, I brought this up before, it's a tool. I don't feel like the DDB itself is gatekeeping. Um, I mean, you can consider it based on what decks they accept, but I feel like more than the database is limiting um, what decks get on their site, I feel like it's more used as a tool by actual players to gatekeep what decks they interact with. Like say I bring something that's not on the database to a discussion like, hey, what do you think of this deck? I'll get crapped on a lot more than if I bring a tried and true database deck. I don't feel like it's so much the database, but it's a tool used by players to express their opinions and gatekeep you. I think that's like a really good explanation of that. I think that like, yeah, I don't think that the database is inherently 
trying to gatekeep the format. I think that it's another one of those things where it um, it happens subconsciously, right? Like it's a systematic issue because what they're doing is they're saying like, hey, we're trying to optimize lists to the best of our ability and we're going through this whole systems of checks and balances to help people optimize those lists and, and, and really take this format to another level. But what other people use that as, as well, if it's not on the database, it's clearly not an optimized list. Yeah, and, and it's... You, you, you hit it on the head right there where it's like, you know, basically people nowadays are saying, hey, you know what, it's not on database, it's not a CEDH deck, we don't want to see it. Or it's like one of those fringe decks that we don't want to even see or they'll just shit right all over it. And like, it's not CEDH. I think, I, I think that what, what CEDH used to be, which kind of gets a little muddled nowadays, and I don't, I don't think it's wrong that it's muddled, but CEDH used to be, how can we break a specific archetype card how can we break a specific card how can we break this commander and how can we make it as high powered as possible it's competitively it used to be a lot more commander centric with partners it's kind of gone away from that (laughs) (laughs) timna okay bet well i think that i feel like that can still be a way to deck build i think it's okay to say like hey i know this commander isn't the best strategy but how can i break it how can i take this commander as competitive as possible and people will bring that to a table or to a discussion on Reddit or Discord and be like, I think I broke this commander. And they'll be like, yeah, well, it still sucks. So, like, what did you know? What did you really do? I mean, that, that's kind of how I did it with Sithis at, at the end there where you guys remember where I was still fleshing it out back in the day. I mean, back in the day where it was, okay, well, I'm still ironing things out. But it's very, it's very much a commander-centric deck. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so back to like the DDB itself. I think that yeah, people use it as a gatekeeping tool. Yeah, yeah. I think Bryce put it out perfectly. Let me pat myself on I, the back. Yeah, <laughs> pat yourself on the back. Good job, Bryce. Um, I have nothing more to say on this. Well, I, don't either. I, I mean, think, I have stuff to say, but I, th- I think that there's like a there's a bit of a discussion here because like like is the like the DDB? It's a very helpful resource. I love yes. the DDB. I That's love what, what it is. does, and it and it really helps like established like these are the commonly like best played combos these are the things that people are doing these are th- this is what you should these look are the more to optimize yeah this is what you, you should, should look to and, ba- and base things off of this but like people use it as a powerful tool people yeah. will tell you like oh i'm building i built a timnathrasios and it does this and then you'll be like well there's six other timnathrasios decks why aren't you just doing one of these yeah. and why aren't you and they use it as a tool to kind of abuse not abuse but like um really make you invalidate your opinions. And I don't think that that's what the goal of the database is, right? The goal of the database is to help new players establish, like these are starting points that I can work from and these are things that I can look up to. Whereas other people will use it as a way to be like, you this fucking is, suck because the yeah. database is the, the Bible. And people you need to will be... use it as a be all end all. Yeah. And that's the thing where like, oh, it's not on the database, but the database is the be all end all. It is literally the holy guide to CEDH from what people think. Yeah, and that's think, not necessarily the case. I think I've iterated this opinion before, but I look at the database as the pre-cons of CEDH. Yeah, we, yes. we, we've literally done two DDB episodes. <laughs> Check them <laughs> yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, we yeah. talk a lot about our thoughts in, on the database, and we've learned a lot too. I think um, we've... About we, the process. Oh, yeah, stuff. like we've reached out to the managers, and it's a, it's a huge, huge process, and they do a really good job of trying to make sure that they, they don't like gatekeep specific ideas or opinions they're very open to new ideas very open to new strategies and and there's so many checks and balances on the way that determined like how they 
analyze things. And I think that they don't just immediately invalidate someone's opinion. And I think that if other, other people do, <laughs> I think if, if other discords or other uh, online personalities thought in that way and didn't just try to invalidate someone right away, but gave thoughtful reasoning and ideas, I think that you'd see a lot less arguments that exist on this type of topic. I think also a mindset that people get locked into is, so you're bringing forward this new deck, right? Why isn't it already on the DDB? And instead of, oh, why isn't it already there? Like, if this was good, it would be on there. It's like, maybe this is the starting point for this new way of looking at this it. This new idea. And you need right? to come at it with a fresh mind, not like, oh, if it's good, it should be on the DDB. Instead of, if it's, the way to flop it, I don't even know how to say it, but. Yeah, I lost my train of thought. There. No, that's <laughs> a little bit of derailment. <laughs> I think I think we covered I think we covered this one enough. Yeah, like I yeah. think that there's I not an inherent problem with the DDDB, but I think that people use it as a tool to gatekeep like new players or new ideas, and it kind of suppresses those thoughts and opinions. Yep. Um, Bryce, I think you have another um, form of gatekeeping in the meta. Yes, sir. All right. So when discussing differences of opinion in card choice and play patterns. We all evaluate cards differently. This is just a fact. Um, when does constructive criticism cross the line of becoming gatekeeping? So, like, when does it go too far? Yeah. I think that there's, I think that there's one obvious answer, and it's when uh, criticism becomes um, personal. Personal. Yeah. When you're not criticizing a person's deck choices or opinions. But you're criticizing them as a person. Yeah. So I think like like there's a difference between criticism and insulting, right? Yeah. And I think that there's a clear line there where like now you're just insulting someone's intelligence or you're insulting someone's ideas or you're insulting someone's personality and that's – you've gone too far. Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, your deck sucks, it's saying you suck. Yeah. And that's whole – That's a whole other yeah. world of problems. And it, and, and it, it is – gatekeeping right like you're 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 telling someone that like you're you're not in like limiting their access but you're controlling them and you're telling them you you can't make decisions for yourself because you're too stupid so let me tell you how to make your <laughs> and own let decisions. me tell you why yeah, yeah exactly yeah. And, and 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 no one wants to play no one wants to play with people like that no one wants to enjoy this format no one wants to have fun because it's not fun to get shit on all the time no i mean I mean, we crap on each other a lot. There's a certain amount of... Uh... Well, we're all friends here. Yeah. <laughs> if there's an understanding... like well, if it's just some random stranger, you just can't do that. Yeah. No, and I think people don't understand that. Like, that's, like, <laughs> such a big problem. It's like, listen, yeah, with your friends, you might be able to joke or, or, or say things that you can't say to other people, but... Uh, so you shouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think that, like, I watched a podcast recently. I listened to a podcast with Shivam. He runs the Casual Magic Podcast. And he had a guest on who is um, very much in the progressive scene about like teaching people how to communicate with each other and teaching people how to like have conversations and, and, and where the problems and communications lie with Magic the Gathering. And something that they brought up was like, oh, you know, in a lot of play groups or a lot of friend groups, some people might use like misogynistic language around their friends. And it's okay because everybody has this understanding that you're joking, right? Like, yeah. okay, you're joking. Everybody knows it's a joke. No one takes it seriously and they know you don't actually have those opinions. 
Now, if we go play with random strangers and use that same misogynistic language, they'll be like, "Whoa, what the heck?" They're gonna be like, "That's not okay." Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because they don't have that understanding. Yeah, and I think like to tie it back into what we're talking about, you and your friends might shit on each other all the time. You might be like, "Ah, you're a fucking idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Just play this." Blah blah blah. blah. Then you say that to a stranger over the internet. They have no fucking idea that you're joking. Yeah. And and you might be like, oh, it's just a joke, dude. And it's like, that doesn't matter. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> like, you know, like I don't care that you're joking. You're a fucking dick, dude. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. So I think that like there 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 is like a, a definitive line where it's like, dude, you're crossing a line. And I think to some people, they also can't take constructive criticism, which I think is no. also a problem. I yeah. think it's also a fine line as well. Because for some people, like you were saying, like they can't take they can't take people pointing out the mistakes or not mistakes, but like the pointing out like some obvious choices, like what we brought up before, like maybe like cantrips or like something like, why are you playing cantrips instead of this? They're like, Oh, because I like cantrips. It's like, but don't you want to play optimized cards? And they're like, no, I want to play my cantrips because I want to play them. And they can't take you saying, no, this is, X is just better. Not even, y is just better. Not even just that, but like even in, in that example, if you're like, well, you know, cantrips are really good in 60 card formats, but they don't really, you know, in a 100 card singleton, a cantrip only has so much power. You don't have a four of it. You can't recur it. You can't, you know, optimize it with a fetch land and, 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 and break that um, break that barrier. And someone's like, why, why are you talking to me like I'm stupid? Why are you talking to me like I don't? Like they can't take, yeah. like when you're trying to, be beneficial and help and talk you're really organizing your thoughts in a professional way and saying like hey i'm just trying to help you some people can't take that and like mm-hmm. and i think that that's a problem too because people don't like if you're asking for advice you need to be willing to accept it as well um and and i think like we run into that problem sometimes with us where it's like we try to be very well thought out when we explain things and we try to like help people and we try to be beneficial to the community and some people are just like i don't care about your opinion i was just asking a rhetorical question yeah. and it's like okay <laughs> we're online the discord. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're online like that that question isn't rhetorical when you put it out there so it's very funny to like think about it because i think that there's like a there's a there's a social barrier to commander as well yeah. And I think that it's it's it, it is a fine line, and you're tiptoeing that line constantly because you're working with individuals where you don't know where they're what sets them off, what is going too far, and it's really hard to communicate that. And you have to pick up on a lot of social cues, and that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, you you don't know the mentality and the the where they are in their head at that point in time where something so small can trigger them, and that that's where it goes back to what you were saying, Keen, where it's a very fine line. There is no shade of gray in it. And that's the weird thing where maybe three, four, five years ago, there would have been a little bit of shade of gray. Nowadays, it's a very fine line. I remember I was in a Discord the other day and somebody asked a question and someone responded with, shut the fuck up. And then the guy was like, yo, what the hell? And the guy was like, I was just joking, bro. Don't take it so seriously. And I'm like, how do you know? Like, how are you supposed to determine that? You just told the guy to shut the fuck up. Like, he asked, like, he wrote, like, a paragraph, thought up, like, this well-thought-out question and was like, does anybody have any input? And the guy was like, shut the fuck up. And I was like, oh, my God. Like that escalated. Hell. Yeah, like I, that escalated <laughs> fast. Yeah, and I was just like, just a prank, bro. Just a prank. I was joking around. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like you can't, dude. You can't do that because there's like, no man. It is impossible. It is impossible to be able to determine if someone's joking around or serious. Sarcasm. Sarcasm doesn't exist on the internet. Exactly. So yeah, and unless I, you know the person. That, yeah. Constructive criticism is very much a a, 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 a touchy subject. It's a tightrope. Yeah, it's a yeah. You don't really know like we're. 
you don't know when you're going to cross that line because it, it, it's different for everybody. But I think there's a way to conduct yourself where even if you do cross that line to somebody else, you covered your base. You covered. You're not in the wrong because yeah. you were being respectful. You were being responsible, and you're doing the best that you can. And I think that more people should think that way when it comes to analyzing other people's choices or decisions or ideas. Like, don't just shoot it down right away. Ask the question. And I've seen it. I've seen it in discords where someone's like, "Why? Can you tell me why you're doing this?" And someone will be like, "We'll comment below like." Oh, it doesn't matter why he's doing it. It sucks. And like I've seen that guy comment back and be like, no, I want to hear his ideas. Like, don't shoot it down. And it's it's cool to see that in the community. Like, yeah. yes, like like let's explore ideas, and then we can all learn from each other and pick up on those ideas and and build better decks. And I think that that's should be the goal. Yeah, I think in our little play group and the community that we're trying to cultivate, we want that as well as where we're trying to be able to allow people to learn things and thrive and without having that stigma that we we're talking about here where it's like hey you know shut the fuck up i don't want to hear what you have as a question if it's not if it doesn't exist it must not be good enough so shut your fucking mouth <laughs> exactly i mean we we want to be able to cultivate and be able to teach people what we know and what we believe may be the best line but we also want to hear feedback from them as to what and, they have and just learn just be open to learn exactly yeah. we're not the end all be all of this game no. we we want to learn as well we're not yeah. we ain't we're nothing, not all perfect we ain't nothing but exactly. eight dudes from Wisco trying to jam some games and drink some beer <laughs> yeah, I mean much. in my case it's vodka but whatever <laughs> uh, so uh, on that aspect of like constructive do you have anything else you'd like to yeah, add to yeah I have one more thing um, so I think the cause I know we're talking about like oh how can we not just crap on people and I think the best way to go about that is to give good constructive criticism like instead of just saying oh yeah that card's not good you need to add more to that otherwise it's not good and i think the best ways to do that are to explain why and to provide an alternative yeah if you're just saying <laughs> oh yeah this card lost. sucks it's like okay what's a better what alternative that's going to do what this card does yeah i want yeah. this effect what if this is so bad what's something that does this instead? so like the gnome that we were talking about before what other card is going to ramp you as much as that can at a two drop slot I, I and you're trying to the, do that, and that's the only option you have. Squadron Hawk? I would have, the Gnome is way better than Squadron Hawk. Oh, by far, <laughs> but for a two-mana slot... Well, like, what, well, what, what, it, what I would look at, like, say say someone said that, like, the Gnome, yeah. you shouldn't be playing, or uh, if someone said, I want to play the Gnome, and I don't think the Gnome fits well in their deck, well, what I suggest is, well, you can get a similar effect to that that maybe doesn't ramp you, but draws you cards. So, yeah, like, archivist. and that's, I would think the Archivist is a better slot than the Gnome because it's giving you card advantage and the possibility of ramp because you might just draw into those lands. Yeah. And it, it, it has more effects than the Deep Known Terramancer. I think adding that is what is going to put your criticism criticism way past the point where it's not going to be even close to just, oh yeah, that sucks. It's not gatekeeping. It's just like, hey, this is all the info that I have to share. It is, it is helping, right? Yes. Um, it's not attacking the person. It's just giving them that... Cr that constructive criticism at that point and, yeah. and not going beyond that boundary. As long as you keep it constructive, I think you'll stay clear of just straight up gatekeeping. Yeah, and I think that'll help you to better build relationships with people and better build ideas with, with other people and gain um, a little bit of notoriety as being someone who's positive. And then you know what? Then you can meme on people and be friendly with them and joke around because they know who you are and they and they validate your opinions. And they, they really take them with... Um, 
with uh, what am I trying to say? They they don't take them with a grain of salt. They 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 actually think about them and and appreciate them. Yeah. And then it's funny to be like, okay, you should just play Blue Farm, and then be like, no, but seriously, this is what I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 it has like a big benefit. Yesterday, I was in the Discord. Right, there was a card you played on me Friday. Right. They just shot me out of the water. And I went in the Discord and I said, bad, stinky, poo-poo, icky card. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, hey, it's actually not that bad. And Adam comes in and he's like, yeah, he just got a fat L to that. Yeah. So that feel- context means so much more. Yeah, like, yeah, it's it, it helps to, to have that kind of relationship built in that communication where people can talk and discuss. And I think that we're trying to build that environment in our, like, Discord. I know Absolutely. that people, like, like, in Josh's Discord... For mind muscle magic they build that positive environment the founders discord is really so there's there are places that you can find that information i just wish that the community would more widely accept that like this is what we should strive for this is what we should aim for mm-hmm. so you know it's something to think about and to look at speaking of that speaking of the community subject um i'd like to bring up i know uh this is actually a question for from one of our patreons because we did ask for this episode like what are your guys's thoughts on this great inputs by the way great inputs by the way um so this is kind of generalized and then i'll add an additional caveat to this so are content creators responsible for the look of cdh as a whole because this is more of like a community driven format and content creators in any community like you can look at anything in the world, like YouTube, what yada yada yada. Content creators have the most impact in those communities. Now the caveat that I'm gonna add is, are they responsible for the look that they're giving to CDH? Ooh, I think responsible. That's hard mm. to address. I think we should start off. Are they the face? Which I think they 100% are. Yeah. The only there's two people that are going to be the driving force of this format, in my opinion. The people that win tournaments and the people that talk about them, right? The people that win aren't as easily accessible as the people that talk about them. So that's why I think they're the face. I'd, I wouldn't even add the first part. I'd add the latter because they have, yeah. the, they have, they have the most popularity they have the and they have the voice in the community. So they'll yeah. be able to instill ideas to players that the players that the people that win the like the cda tournament can't reach and that's kind of bringing it back to my caveat are they responsible for like breeding that positivity or that negativity that we tend to see in these discord communities like in in cdh so responsible means that there's consequences yes Um, and i don't they're just people in my opinion right this is entirely my opinion but like at a certain point, they're human beings. Like, I'm not going to hold them responsible if they crap on a card that I don't agree with. Like, sure, they carry more weight, but I don't know if they should be punished for that. No, okay. So I think when I analyze... Because that's what a responsibility is. Well, but when, it's, when, it's, when, when I analyze this question, I'm thinking of it of, like, are they responsible to upholding an opinion that impacts the community positively. Yeah, not so, more card choices, more community Yeah, so like what I'm saying with that is like, if you have a, a content creator who's like, you shouldn't build a deck that's not on the database. You should only be building database decks. You should only be playing optimized lists like that, that have proven to be optimized, blah, 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 blah. And anything outside of that is just purely bad. That voice is gonna resonate to their listeners and now those listeners are gonna garnish that opinion. And now they're going to hold that opinion as well. And now that's how that toxicity spreads 
throughout the community. Because they're like, well, comedian said, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's just an example. Comedian doesn't say this type of stuff. But say like... You never right? heard him say blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no. But like, if like, you know what I mean? Like, if, if they said like, oh, playing with power said that you shouldn't do anything besides this. Now, you know, they have the hugest voice in the community. Now, all these people are going to listen to that. And they're going to be like, oh, this is what the opinion should be. Because this so-and-so said so. And I think that they are 100% responsible for their opinions. And they're 100% responsible for trying to positive or positive, try to impact the community in a positive way. Like, I think that we've made it apparent that like we try to breed a lot of positivity and we try to push out a lot of negativity, but we're not afraid to talk about the negativity, right? I think that we're taking on that responsibility as quote unquote content creators yeah. because it's, it's what we can do to help the community in the little way that we can. And I think that other content creators should do the same thing. And I think that does exist. I think you look at like play to win, playing with power. They're very positive. They're very like, you know, proxy friendly or they're very like, they don't want to build barriers to the format and stuff like that. But there are content creators out there that are kind of gatekeepy and they're kind of like, oh, you know, this is the niche community that it should be. It shouldn't expand to that. If you don't want to play like this, you shouldn't play at all and yada, yada, yada. And I think that that can become an issue because like, like you said, they have the loudest voices. Like everybody's going to listen to them. You know what I mean? If PewDiePie woke up tomorrow and was like, this fucking shit sucks, everybody would be like, yeah, it fucking yeah, sucks. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I, I will agree with you as far as if the content creators are responsible. They absolutely are to some extent. But you also have to, to take into consideration that a lot of content creators are also coming from other formats. A lot of that toxicity could also be coming from other formats as well. That, that might not be taken into consideration here that a lot of these other formats are in fact toxic as well and that is bleeding into our format i don't here. think that that's an think... excuse for them though yeah, oh no I, it's I, not I an excuse by far i think that like I, i'm not i'm not trying to go off and give them an excuse for their actions or what they're saying as hey this is a bad card or this is what the meta is work off of just this if this is not in the meta then don't play it and shit all over it because that's not what I'm trying to get at here. I think something like specifically that we can attest to is like we've seen recently that like certain content creators that come from other formats, specifically like certain 60 card formats, are sometimes the most toxic people. Oh, absolutely. Because they have like sometimes they're very egotistical and they have this opinion that exists of like, oh, well, I've been through it, you know, I, I, I know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to take your opinion into consideration. So I'm not even going to bother. I'm going to just tell you that you're wrong and move on. And that's and just like, giving fuel to what I'm saying. Yeah, which, is, which I think is a big problem. But I think they're responsible for that. Like, I they think absolutely that you, are. You need to understand that like, hey, like people value your opinions, but don't be a dick about don't it. Don't overstep the, yep. the boundaries. Yeah, exactly. and I think that that's like a huge thing. Bryce, you seem like you got something you want to say. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so obviously they carry weight. Their opinions carry a lot of weight. I don't think responsible is the right way of looking at it like if i think genuinely that you know what if you want to go to a tournament and you don't want to play if you want to play something that's not in the ddb maybe you should rethink what your deck is that's not my opinion but say that was right if i say that and i get blasted for that is that not gatekeeping me on what i can think because i'm a content creator what do you mean? Because like, you put that opinion out there, so now people are going to hold you to that opinion? No, like, if you're trying to enforce that you have to be super welcoming and open to everyone because you're a content creator, why would I want to be a content creator if that's not my opinion? 
I think that you have to have, I think that that's the responsibility you take on as a content creator is like, you have to be welcoming to new people. You have to be understanding and you're going to deal with things that maybe aren't like 100% things that you agree with. Like you're going to deal with people that are going to bring you suboptimal card choices and you're going to have to explain your thought process and do that. But I think it's your responsibility as a content creator to do that in a way that isn't confrontational, right? So like at what point does constructive criticism cross the line of gatekeeping? I don't think just because you're a content creator, you can cross that line. You know what I mean? And so on and so forth. And I think that if you do cross that line, all of a sudden other people are going to look at that and say, well, that's okay to do because so-and-so did so. And now I'm going to do that when I communicate with other people because that's how this person communicates. I think whenever a person has a platform that they can speak on, they're held not, I guess you would say like a higher standard because people are going to listen to you and they're going to either respect your opinion or not respect your opinion. And I think you having like either positive effect on that or a negative effect on that greatly dictates what your listeners do or how they act and other and how they interact with other people. So say like, oh, uh, like Adam brought up playing with power. Say like they say that this deck is really bad, yada, yada, yada. They don't like it's really negative. And then all their listeners are going to go on other discourse and just roast everybody that's on that deck and say, your deck is fucking trash. Playing with power says it's bad. Blah, blah, blah. Is playing with power held responsible because they said that that, uh, that deck was bad? Or are the actual people that listen to playing with power and are absorbing their content held responsible? I think it's why like when we do our content and we do like our database episodes, we might say like, we don't really understand this deck or we don't like think that this deck is the most optimized or the best strategy that you can be doing but we still want to see it in practice and yeah. we still want to see what it does first before we formulate a full opinion because you have to put that disclaimer out there that like hey i might already have this preconceived notion and this might be my opinion and i'm entitled to it but that shouldn't be your opinion because i don't know everything right we don't know everything and i think that like unfortunately even though it shouldn't be the case like content creators do influence the format and it's a hive mind and and a lot of time it's the the ideas that they portray that everybody else is going to believe to. Yeah. yeah and i think that sometimes unintentionally content creators can gatekeep cdh like they can say like oh you should only be playing this kind of stuff or only these types of people should be playing the format or so on and so forth and i think that that's why people appreciate channels like play to win and playing with power that are very welcoming to new ideas playing with power has decks on every month that I've never even heard of. I'm like, who the fuck is that commander? And they they don't josh it or hate on it or you know whatever. They they like let's see how it does. Like play the deck, let the deck do the talking. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why people appreciate that type of content. And I think that you know they definitely have an impact on that whole gatekeeping stigma that CDH kind of carries with it. Okay, I do agree somewhat. Then um, I will say that I believe that. It's the people that listen to him. If they want to go and express those same opinions, ultimately, it's them being the problem, not so much the people they listen to. But yes, I guess there is a responsibility that as a content creator, you are influencing people and you need to take that into consideration with what you say. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Is like, like, you're on a platform, you're held to a higher standard. Yeah, and, and think about that when you talk. You know, It's and, literally, you're on a platform... 
a ri- like when you think of platform, a literal platform, a literal platform yeah. below the plebs looking down. And you're like, all right, is, peasants. Like the thing is, the more people that you have, the higher the standard you're set to. Yes. That's, yeah. That's, that's the what, more yeah. your opinion is going to matter, Absolutely. and the more that people are going to take. And that people into people take that for granted is that you know if you have like fifty thousand people following you, you are set to like a very very high standard compared to someone that only has like five thousand. Where it's like, yeah, you're influencing a very small group of people, but compared to that fifty thousand, you you're just a fish in a large pond. Yeah, small fish in a big pond. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, in the topic of gatekeeping, right, yep. Bryce, I think you got quite the loaded question here. All right, this one, this one's really loaded, almost as loaded as Kean's was. All right. So, Uh-oh. in what instances, if any, is gatekeeping acceptable? Right. So, Adam, do you think it's acceptable and when? I think that, like, I think that you really have to look at, like, how you define gatekeeping, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that, like, we kind of talked about, like, there's a difference, right? You have constructive criticism and you have gatekeeping, right? At what point is gatekeeping acceptable? I don't think that you should ever gatekeep the format, right? I don't think you should ever try to limit someone's accessibility to CDH. I don't think you should ever try to control someone's ideas or thoughts when it comes to CDH. I think that you should do your best and work your hardest to try to help people and try to convey your ideas in the best way possible. Um, So I don't know, there's a lot that can kind of go into that question, right? Mike, what's your thoughts on this? You know, there it's there's never, in my view, a point where it's allowable. But you also have that point where you know there are people that, if you have a history with them, mm-hmm. then you can say, hey, you know, you've been in hypoth- hypothetically here, and this is the yep. best way that I can put it. Yeah. If you've had someone that you've had in a CDH pod with you before, and maybe this is, let's say, six months to a year ago, and things didn't quite work with them, they ended up dropping CEDH, and they want to come back CEDH, and they I, may not have that mindset. I think something that you said there was really important. And I think what it was was when you're with your friends, you can kind of gatekeep. Absolutely. I think that like when we're together... And someone's like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm thinking about building this deck," yeah. and you're like, "What? Like, what? Excuse me? Yeah, like, what is that gonna like? When you've built up a repertoire with your friends and you you have that, like, that genuinely niche community of like uh, a core group of people that you're that you talk to on a on a daily basis, you can kind of gatekeep your friends. You can kind of be like, dude, oh, yeah. like that's not like, come on, bro, you know that's not good. Like, why are you wasting? your I time remember when Bryce first suggested building Baby Blue Farm. <laughs> All right, and, and I was like. This deck is gonna fucking suck. Why? Why are you building this deck? And then he explained reasonings. But, but like you, like on your point before, when you're with your friends, it's a whole like it's one thing. But when you're online and you're like interacting with other people in the community, it's a whole different thing. And I think you have to take that into account when you talk with people. I, I think that there is too a, a a time where it's okay to tell someone that maybe something isn't CDH. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that that's acceptable as well. I think that when you think about like certain decks or certain ideas that someone's like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna try to take this to the next level. I think it's like it's fair to say to someone like, okay, hear me out, man. Yep. I think you can like go ahead and push this as far as you can push it. But from my experience, 
I'm letting you know now that I don't think you'll get this quite to the highest the highest standard. Yeah. You know, like like technically any combination of colors can get you there, right? Any monocolored deck, any combination of colors, anything can get you there, right? Yeah. But I think that when it comes to building something that's really powerful, it's fair to say like, hey, I don't know if that's going to cross that boundary. So this is something I actually want to bring up in particular mm -hmm. to this question. Um, I'm going to get shot for this, right? Because eventually this deck's going to come and mop my cheeks. <laughs> but as an example, right, we're going to bring up Tago, which is yeah. landfall whenever land enters, make a rock, right? Which is equip. Yeah. Yada, yada. We don't really care, right? Doing damage, um, yeah. Kodama, which is whenever permanent enters, you can put another permanent from your hand of equal or lesser CMC. And Storm Cauldron, which is whenever you tap a land, return it to your hands. You can play an additional land per turn. With those three out, you can loop um, your... You can make infinite rocks. Land and, and then, the rocks. Yeah. yeah and which then is kill just your responding opponents. to the ETB. Yeah. You can do whatever you want, right? I don't think the deck is that good. I don't think it's going to make any CDH things whatsoever. But it is a combo, right? And you could say, hey, I want to take this to the next level. There isn't that much support for it, but I want to do it. At what point do you say, okay, I'm not trying to gatekeep, but I don't think this can get here. Like, how do you genuinely criticize someone saying this deck sucks? I think but. I think that you have to look at it like maybe you're not criticizing them, right? Like you can say like <clears throat> something that I try to do is like like wow that looks really fun and really cool. The problem is is that it it can't perform well under these standards. Yeah. Or when you're versing someone like this that's playing this type of archetype or this type of archetype, how are you going to hold up to that? And you kind of explain, you go down that that ladder of like... What when are you it, bringing to the table that you can't get somewhere else? And when, you're, yeah. and when you're put in these specific situations, what does this deck do that another deck can't? Or yeah. what does this deck do that makes it better, right? Yeah. And I think that like... That comes into like the, the whole topic of like optimization. Cause I think there are certain decks that are completely optimized for this, like the current meta, and then certain decks that kind of um, are meta busters, right? Like when you look at a deck like Magda, right? And like like something that can slip under that radar, kind of bust the meta, play through certain stacks, pieces and stuff like that, which are decks that you never suspect. So I never want to shoot down someone's idea. It's always like, hey, if you want to build Tago Kodama, Storm Cauldron, Go ahead and do it because you might be the meta buster and I just might not be able to see it. Yeah. But I'm letting you know now that I don't think it can get there. But yeah. do your best and prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Like always. I say would that. love to get mopped by a Kodama Tago deck. Yeah. The goofiest I mean, thing. You know, I've seen the deck. It's it's funny. It's it's a lot of fun to play against. Will it be a competitive thing? I'm gonna get shot for this. Also, I, I don't think that it Welcome can Welcome to the there. sinking ship, my guy. <laughs> we, we, we'll get there. I think sure. it's just a way that you communicate, right? Yeah. Yes. I think that it's like... like I don't Knock, rule, then die. No, I think... <laughs> I think if you're not Rurik Thor, then die. <laughs> I don't think that it's gatekeeping, right? I don't think that it's gatekeeping. I think that it's, it's, it's trying to give someone feedback in an acceptable way. Because I think once you hit gatekeeping, it's when you cross that line we discussed earlier. So I, I think that we just need to work better at communicating as a community your thoughts and ideas and, and, and take that into consideration when you're talking to people. I think gatekeeping is almost 100% just a communication problem. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Especially in magic. Yes. You know, sure. I, I mean, there are systematic things, right? We talked about financial gatekeeping and things yeah. like that. Like there are, there are things that 
can hold you back. Can hold you back. But I think that the main problem in the community is just communication. I mean, yeah. and as as Adam said, you know, when as far as to bring back to your question, there there are certain times where it may be acceptable, like with friends, like you were talking about, Adam, where you know you can theoretically say, hey, you know, I, maybe this isn't what you want to do. Keen, you were talking about when Bryce wanted to build Baby Blue Farm at the start, you were like, what? What the hell? There are certain oh, times where you now. can, <laughs> there are certain times where you can say, and I know I'm being completely hypocritical at this point, because I said that you can't. But there, there are times where, yeah, you absolutely can with your play group. That, and you know these people mm. that, yeah, you can absolutely say, can say this is not something that I would do or this is probably not going to make it for our meta, mm-hmm. where it's not going to be good enough. Yeah. So on that topic, yep. right? My question to kind of round out this main topic is: How do you think that we, as the community, right? Not just us, but as a community whole, CDH in general, yeah. how can we fix the problem of gatekeeping that exists? Because I think it is a problem. We see it all the time. You see it in discords. You see it on Reddit. You, Reddit especially. Oh my God, Reddit is such a cesspool of thoughts and ideas. <laughs> and then like even at LGSs, you can see it too or at tournaments and all this stuff. Like, How do you fix this problem of like the community kind of controlling thoughts and ideas and limiting like people's opinions of what they should play and what they can't and if new players should enter the format and things like that? You know, I'll, I'll I'll be the generic one that says everyone just needs to have an open mind and positive concepts about things. Shut the first. fuck up, you hippie. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you know, you, I feel that a lot of this, well, this comes down episode. to communication. Where yeah. if, <laughs> if you have a negative output on it and you shit all over something, then people are going to not want to play it. And that it comes back down to the stigma at that point where people want to believe that we are biased pricks that want to just play the best things and give no fucks about what everyone else thinks. Don't validate that opinion, right? People want to come people believe that CDH is this specific idea, right? This ideology exactly. and this idea of like pub stomping and like mean play patterns and all this kind of stuff don't be the guy that validates that opinion don't be the one that makes them say yeah see i knew cdh was bad you know you don't want to be that person because yeah. that's what stops people that's what stops it from growing promote being a good person everyone that's what it is i think <clears throat> magic is um it's mentally stimulating it's a, it's attractive to a lot of people especially people that don't fit into a lot of groups and a lot of those people because just the way things are haven't built up their communication skills i think magic is the perfect place to do that i saw a statistic once that people who play magic and play it for a long time are more successful with their jobs they're better at opening businesses they're just generally more successful in their life um i think magic is a great breeding ground to improve your communication. And because of that, you're just going to see a lot of communication mishaps and errors and all this gatekeeping nonsense. And I think as a community, we have to accept that it's going to exist, but at the same time, push for people to correct, learn and grow and become better at voicing their opinions, communicating their thoughts and 
not being a long schlong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a big proponent is I think that one way to fix the problem is to call people out. Yes. Like, don't be yeah. afraid to call someone out that's gatekeeping someone. Don't be afraid to say, hey, man, that's not cool. Don't talk to him that way. Because I know if you address something like, hey, guys, that wasn't cool. They'll know if you don't say anything. Be like, oh, okay, let's do this next time. Yeah, like the, if if no one ever gets reprimanded, they're gonna keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it until yes. someone tells them that it's wrong. And then if it's too late, they're gonna be like, well, I did it for years and no one ever said it was a bad thing, and now yeah. you're telling me it's bad. You know, like there's, you should not be afraid to say, hey, man, we don't accept that type of language here. We don't accept that type of communication, and you need to be a better person because otherwise, no one wants to. To play or be around you yeah and, and i think that that's totally fine to do and i know we've had to do it before with even each other in our play group yeah like yep. say like hey dude not cool or hey man take a step back or whatever you got to do right so to, to let someone know that like maybe you're going too far overstepping certain boundaries and i think that that's like the easiest way for us to kind of fix that problem and, and to just be accepting you know like understand other people's situations and where they might come from especially when it comes to things like the financial burden and yeah. proxying and things like that. Understand, like, some people can't afford these cards, you know, but they want to play and they want to have fun, you know? So, like, why why be the person to tell them that they can't? I think that you have to analyze everything from a different perspective to really have a positive impact on the community as a whole. And I think that we're headed in that direction. I think it's a slow process. I think that our format is going to eventually do it better than any other simply because... You have to communicate in EDH. Yes. You're sitting well, you at a table. Communication is half of the game. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think that it's getting better and we're making progress, but there's still a ton of room for growth. And I think that... There's always room for growth. Yeah. Which is it, what's good. And it's not always going to be perfect, but you can breed positivity and make things better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think to, to recap and to put plainly... Uh, how do we fix this at like this community problem get gatekeeping? I think there's three easy steps. I think there's one we need to have great communication skills or not great, but we need to get better at. I know Mike said we need it. To practice them. We need to practice them, and we need a. Um... Damn it, Bryce! You got me off topic. I'm sorry. I'm you sorry. Are... <laughs> <laughs> we should be open-minded about things. Yeah, we need to be more open-minded, and we need to be more understanding of where the other person's coming from. Like I know. Like the classic, oh, you got to take a trip in another man's shoes. I think that applies, like especially on the internet. You 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 don't have to take into consideration what what they like. What are they going through? Yada yada yada. Because then you'll be too over analytical and overthink something, and then not say what you really wanted to say because you thought that you would offend. I think you need to take like a little step back. Say okay, maybe they're coming from this idea, but you still need to communicate. Um, you need to have like great ex explanations, blah, blah, blah. That, that's step one. And step two, I guess you would say. Um, all you guys went before me and said a lot of shit. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what to say here. You just lost your uh, train of thought. Yeah, I just lost. I'm like, well, Adam said Rip. that shit. Fuck. Uh, Bryce said it. Fuck. Uh, Mike said it. Fuck. Um, and, uh, sorry, for, happens. So, sorry for gatekeeping your Dude, you're gatekeeping my explanations. Okay, man. I'm in the corner by myself. You just feed me magic well, cards. Hey, man, tell you what. I'll build a fence for you just so that we can uh, keep your gate cap. Hey. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so to take away more of your thunder, right? I got some more. Like oh, oh shit. Nah. 
so I know we keep on saying like, oh, you need these skills, you need this. That's not to say that you need those in order to participate. Yeah. You need to kind of... We're not gatekeeping your ideas. But <laughs> you need to kind of build at them. You need to go, okay, I know this is where I need to be, but this is where I am. So how can I get there? You need f- and I think the important things are expressing your thoughts. Like whatever you got in your head, you got to let that sucker out. Um, I think... Uh, restating each other's thoughts is also important like if I'm saying something right and you're like okay let me repeat this back to you and if I'm not saying it correctly obviously there's a communication barrier and like until I get what you're saying correct then I can actually state my opinion all I'm here how do I communicate with this I think I think one of the biggest things that you can do to like impact yourself and how like what communication skills that you might be lacking or things like that is to to analyze your own conversations and be like man the other day i had a conversation with someone that just went south let me go read reread what i typed and what they typed and see where i was wrong or what happened where maybe i can see that oh i was the issue not yeah. just them yeah. or, or or talk with other people because they may have like uh, like a, di- a different viewpoint like hey um, am I wrong in this conversation or am I right? And they'd be like, you were wrong because of this. Like, oh, okay, or, now, now I can learn from Or maybe this. you're not inherently wrong, but you could have done this better. Or you could have communicated. Phrased it better. Yeah, you could have said it this yeah. way and it would have avoided that confrontation. Okay. I know I'm a big component because I don't really put... <laughs> I'm not good at articulating stuff correctly. But like after like maybe like a day, I'll come back and say like, okay, these are my thoughts laid out. But then it's like too late and it's like... Ugh. I don't want to talk. Yeah, to yeah. You don't yeah. want to. You don't yeah. want to feel like it's like you've missed the mark, and then yeah. and then try to reiterate your thoughts. And yeah, then, and and the late. guy's like, "Dude, that was last week. I don't even care anymore. We're yeah. done. All right." Yeah. It's like, but yeah. I think about this every day. Yeah, Please. I'm up in the tree, and I'm like, "Fuck." Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm very bad about that. I think yeah. So I think the takeaway from this episode, I know it was a lot and a lot of maybe tangents that it was hard to keep track of but if you're going to take anything away from this episode i think it's that we acknowledge that gatekeeping exists in cdh it's a problem and it's getting better but there's a lot of room for growth yeah if we worked on our communication skills as a community we learn to talk to each other better we learn to analyze each other's ideas and thoughts and opinions and validate them when they're right and and think thoroughly before we criticize them that a lot of these problems wouldn't be problems. I think that if we consider that people come from different backgrounds, have different financial responsibilities, and we don't criticize someone for not being able to afford something or not be able to play the game a certain way, and we tell people to play with what you can and you know invite that type of um, community mentality. mentality, that that would fix a lot of problems as well. And then finally, just think about how you would want to be spoken to yeah. and think about how you would want to be communicated with and, and show that respect to the people that you're talking to. And a lot of these problems would solve themselves. And just remember, respect is earned, not given. Yeah. Yes. I, I think you put it put it pretty well, Adam. Yeah, I agree with all those points. Yeah. I think that's so a lot. I, cool. think, I think we can leave it there. Now, to be totally hypocritical and um, gatekeep each other. We are gatekeeping each other. <laughs> Bringing on to newest newest segment, feeding the fish. Bryce, we're gonna start with you because oh, I know God. I can roast you the hardest. Yeah. I can. I'm gonna build a bonfire, okay, of all your shitty ideas <laughs> and whatnot. All right, Bryce and Mike, you two are both. Well, Bryce is not new, but Mike, you're new this new to this podcast. We have started a segment recently called Feeding the Fish. Uh, 
basically the general outline is you will be given two minutes to suggest a card that you think is either niche or underplayed and you will give your reasoning towards that card and us the other three people will be given three minutes to shit on you and tell you why you're wrong <laughs> okay um deal I, i'll start deal you want to start Let's go. Okay. 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 So, so wait, wait, right. wait, 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 wait. Three, two, one, go. So I'd like to say that suppression field is actually the one that I'd like to get on. So this card not only hits fetch lands, but it hits a lot of other niche cards that you can go off of. I mean, you're talking that there's fuck. There well, were a few things I was thinking of, but now I lost my train of thought. You got two minutes. <laughs> well, you, you got, got two minutes. You're at twenty seconds. Let's go. <laughs> So for those Pressure for field. those of you who don't know, it is a one in a white enchantment. Correct. Uh, activated abilities of any permanent that are not mana abilities cost two colorless more or generic to activate. Um, I, I guess I'll start since I'm talking. Uh, Mike, I think you're wrong. <laughs> and, 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 and this is not niche whatsoever. I think Suppression Field is a staple in most white-based stack strat strategies. At least two, two or mono color. I know Adam, I've seen, we've all seen the power of Suppression Field. Whether it be Adam playing Infinity on High or just in general like big tur like Monarch tournaments and whatnot. Um, I don't think it's very niche or underplayed. That, that's my viewpoint going Um I'm I've, I'm kind of on Mike's side here, so I will give my opinion next. I think yeah, that I no. <laughs> no, I think that suppression field is underplayed because I think that a lot more low color strategies could run this deck without any yeah. like um, without it Drop hampering backs. their own game plan. Yeah, I think that it's a huge stacks piece that a lot of people don't take into consideration because it stops things like. Like it makes Thrasios activations cost more. If they have a training grounds in play, guess what? It's normal Thrasios now. No, like, you know it it, it. it it stops planeswalkers activated yep. abilities. It stops fetch lands. It, it does a lot to you know um, to any activated ability. It's 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 it a hoser. And I only six. see this get played in stack specific decks where this almost to me is like just as playable as an Aven Mind Sensor. You know. It's just mm -hmm. as good as a, a, a card that you can throw into any deck that it, it doesn't hamper the game plan. If you're playing a, a, a strategy that doesn't abuse activated abilities, say you're only abusing, say like a Kodama deck, right? That's abusing triggered abilities. Like something like that can be really, really beneficial in a deck like that. And I think it is underplayed. I only see it really, like I see it played in Sithis and I see it played in mono white strategies and that's it strictly. So... Uh, I think that it could be seen in a lot more archetypes, and I think it could be, you know, a, more of a staple than it is in the format. I think that for a lot of people, when it was played at Marchesa, it was like the first time people saw Suppression Field. They're like, what the fuck is that card? That's crazy, you know. And and, and I don't know, it's pretty cool. Iso Stepper costs four. Yeah. Bryce, you got it. You want to shit on Suppression Field? Okay. Um, so the primary problem with stacks is that the more power you wield, the more power you're gonna be shooting yourself in the foot with. What I mean by that is when you build stacks, right, you have to take all your pieces into consideration. Like, okay, I have to play around these. Like if I run into them, I don't wanna shut myself off. So inherent with stacks, there's a huge deck building disadvantage because you're basically playing at a lower level until these stacks pieces come out. Once they're out, you're playing at a higher level because your cards are built to play around them. So 
with Suppression Field, it's a very strong card. Don't get me wrong. It shuts off so much crap. But what it means is you have to play so much less stuff. It's deck specific. You're playing so much lower than what you can be because there's so much value inherent with activated abilities that I feel like unless you're in monocolored and monocolored being white, I don't think it should see play in quite a few decks. I think it's good, but I feel like it's too self-damaging in most situations. Like it's very, very niche, even though it's amazing. Cool. All right. Now, Bryce, it's your turn to say your underplayed, underappreciated card. Two minutes on the clock now. Okay. Standstill, right? So this is one in the blue enchantment, right? Whenever a player casts a spell, sacrifice standstill, everybody but that player draws three cards. So what this is good at is that um, it closes the gap between turbo and mid-range decks. So if you play this out, this is rule law on steroids. Nobody wants to play at a nine card disadvantage to their opponents. Turbo decks, their only advantage is speed. If you take that away from them, they are at an inherent disadvantage just on a deck building basis. If they play into this, they have to play at that nine card disadvantage. There's almost a no win situation for them. Obviously it can, it's, it's a gamble more than gamble. It can shoot you in the foot where you need to still play spells and no one else wants to play into it. But in most situations, it's closing the gap between faster strategies and your more slower strategy. Um, further upsides is that, well, not upside, but a different way of looking at it. A lot of people think about card advantage. Um, how many cards are my opponents up? How many cards am I up? Which, if you think about it and you're losing the gamble, you're playing at that nine card disadvantage. And if you win the gamble, although you're drawing three, two of your opponents are also drawing three. And people think, oh my gosh, this is just bad, no matter how you look at it. And I want to change the way you think about that instead of, oh, I'm playing at a six card disadvantage even though one opponent is playing at a nine card disadvantage. You are playing even with the table and one player, one player in particular, is getting basically hosed out of the game because they have to play at that massive disadvantage. It's not so much that you're also playing at a disadvantage, it's that you're playing equal with your opponents. Because what does it matter if you're all drawing? But yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I'll close it there. Let the roasting begin. <laughs> All right, who wants to start? Um, I can start with this one. Okay. Um, okay. Standstill is a funny card. It's cute. It's pretty cute. Um, I think that it ends up posing the person who plays it more than the people who are playing against it. And why is that? I think that's because you. it's easier to play around it when you didn't go down the card advantage initially to put that stacks piece on the board and also if you're a turbo deck it's very easy for you to just continuously draw and say go and sculpt your hand so that way as soon as the standstill goes away <laughs> you're gonna blow out your load and try to win the game regardless you know if you let a if you are playing standstill and you let a bunch of turbo decks develop lands on the table because it doesn't sacrifice itself to lands oh guess what you can put five lands in play and then standstill will pop as soon as it pops, you add nos in response and just win the game from there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it stops those strategies as much as you would hope it would. And you're going to eventually want to progress your own board state anyways. Yep. So who's going to pop it if it's not you? 
You know what I mean? That's what I always have to think of when I play it. Mike? Going to me? All right, Bryce, let me tell you something. Okay, the only reason why you're even bringing Stancil up as a card is because you bought the foil Sandstill and you <laughs> wanted to justify playing the card by itself. Okay? So that, that's a little precursor to my roasting. Okay? Alright. I'll, I'll give two examples. One play example and one, like, theoretical. One play example is I'm playing Brock Silas, right? I'm playing Turbo Deck. Like what Adam said. I'm okay just playing land and passing the turn because I know either you will pop the standstill or someone else. The, the amount of times I've seen you pop your own standstill is greater than the amount of times I've seen someone else pop your standstill. Even me. And this you, is you, why you, you I a lot. This is why I let Kian go before me. Because <laughs> this is the exact same thing I was going to say. I've seen you pop it more times on your own than I have anyone else pop it. Granted, you were going for a win that turn, but you drew me into like a force of will and some other garbage. <laughs> and I, I don't think Stancil is that powerful of a stacks effect. You're still giving two other players three more cards in their hand. And I, I think this format is... Only if you it, pop it. I, you're not, you're not no, at no, an no. advantage over those players. You guys are all playing the same... I know, but yeah. You're, yeah. the person that pops it, say it. it's not you who played played it, right? Yeah. And so you're giving two other, two other opponents three more cards. And being in a format that's card advantage based, having three more cards is the difference between, uh, like a game game loss or a game win. It's definitely not rule of law on steroids. No, <laughs> I don't think it's nearly as powerful. I think it's cute and I think it has its uses, but it's I, I don't like it. Yeah, well that's our time. I Kian, know. I think it's time to roast you, buddy. All right, buddy. All right, buddy, old pal. All right, so I know we've been talking about this as a group recently. Um, Curse Totem. I think uh, I thought it, you were just done there. Like no, Curse Totem. Curse Totem. That's it. I, I think it's a really underplayed card. I know in previous play groups, it's been a pretty big hoser. Um, I think it could see some play currently in our meta. There's been a lot of green. Like Kevin's been pushing green decks hard. There's a Cody player. There's just other like activated abilities of creatures that could that it could hose. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to take my full two minutes on this because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I, I, I think having the ability to stop other people's like acceleration in green because you're playing mana dorks, Cody activation is a hoser because this is off crypt or soul ring mana, and Cody has a hard time bouncing. I mean, it c could bounce artifacts, but it basically plays only free creature bounce spells. Okay, well, let me side with you when you're ready. Alright, um, I'm done. One minute. That's all okay, I need. All you need is That's a all I need, baby. I, I absolutely fucking agree with you. Yeah. Don't smack I I play the card wherever I fucking can. Personally, the only reason why Kevin wants us off of it is so that Frog can go fucking nuts. Yeah. That's the only reason. And AJ wants us off of it so that he can go crazy Cody. with Cody. I think even without uh, Curse Totem... Hey, I, you had your time. Sorry, sorry. The, the card is a fantastic card. It's two mana, so it's not hit by misstep. You, you Yes, it impacts you, but you can easily build around it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's it going to do? Hit your mana dorks if you're playing in green? <laughs> kind of a big deal. <laughs> I mean, whoop-de-fucking-do at some point. I'm done. Um... Okay, I think Curse Totem is a good card. I think that you you can't just throw Curse Totem in your deck. 
I think that too many decks in today's strategies rely on creatures with activated abilities, especially in the meta that we currently play in, where creatures run the meta. If you're building a specific deck to run Cursed Totem, then by all means, run Cursed Totem, right? Same with like decks that run Humility and other stacks pieces that are similar to that. But in all honesty, this card, it's not just like, oh, it's underplayed because I can just slot it in everywhere. No, it's underplayed because people can't physically play it. It shuts down their strategy. So, I mean, how many commander-centric strategies out there that utilize activated abilities? Like, it's hard to just slot this in any deck. Sure, hey, TNT, put Curse Totem in your deck. Oh, wait, you can't win now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, where are you going to slot this in? There's only a niche number of decks that can play this card and only a niche number of decks that want this card because it doesn't progress their own game plan. Are you really, do you really want to play cards that don't progress your game plan, that really just stop your opponent's game plan? Because you're going down in card quality. To, to have an effect on board that your strategy isn't built around. That's what stacks is for. I don't like the card. I'm going to just put that out there. I feel like... I know you think there's a lot of strategies out there that use activated abilities. I find that most decks, the way they try and win, don't actually use activated abilities. There's a lot of value pieces <laughs> that use activated abilities, but it's very few that the actual win con uses activated abilities because normally they're considered slow. Because of summoning sickness. Like triggered abilities are what we value are normally higher better. than anything else. Yeah. I think out of like the most used partners, the only one that has an active ability is Thrasios. All the rest of them, they don't really have activated abilities. And those are super prevalent. Um, there's very few combo decks that I mean, you can use activated I don't know. Abilities. Think about it. It's all Cody, within the 99. It's not within their main combo. There, there Except are, for like... Um, Kenrith, Cody, Najila. You know. Yeah. The big decks boy, like that. Five color, uh, any yeah. of those strategies. There's like predominant dects that use, utilize activated Protein abilities. Hulk, um, yep. Baby Blue Farm. You know all these decks. You I, like, I don't win with activated abilities, but it's you, all value pieces. Yeah, you utilize all those activated abilities though. Like that, that those all progress your game plan. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it just doesn't do enough unless you're in a strictly stacks deck. Makes sense. All right, that's that three minutes, and now it's time for me. So a card that I think is very highly underplayed and undervalued when it comes to CDH is a pet card of mine. It's not really a pet card, but it's a card that I think has a ton of utility. And it goes on to the topic of like the Cursed Totem argument that we just had. Triggered abilities run the format. Triggered abilities are what we value. It's what people um, build their deck around is having things with triggered abilities. Um, my favorite type of triggered abilities are ETB abilities. Um, so when you think of ETB abilities, what are some of the best ETB abilities? I don't know, Dockside and Thoracle and Ranger Captain and Recruiter of the Guard and um, all these different things that activate or that trigger on ETB effects. And a card that I value is Ephemerate. I love Ephemerate. It's one in a white. Exile target creature you control and return it to the battlefield under its owner's control and you rebound it at your upkeep. I think this card is gas. It wins games for certain decks like decks that have spell seeker lines in them. Um, it can double up on your dock sides. It can triple up on your dock sides because you play a dock side, ephemerate it, double your tokens, and next turn get another dock side. It can help you win games when you failed a Thoracle. If your Thoracle got 
if your consult got countered and you have a way to get your tainted packed, you just ephemerate your Thoracle and respond to the ETB and go for your win again. I think this card is very underutilized as a utility piece. And I think it's really cool because it can protect pieces that you want to protect as well. Um, if you have a creature that is very, very important to your strategy that someone's going to remove, boom, ephemerate it. And now that removal piece fizzles because that creature is no longer on the battlefield. All these things, I think, help ephemerate uh, my argument for ephemerate as an underplayed card. And that's my two minutes. Who wants to start this one? Okay, Dibs. Um, ephemerate its target creature. There's two axes you can attack this card. You, can you actually... control. Yeah, which I mean, I don't know if that matters too much, but it it's target creature, so they can kill the creature or counter the spell. So there's two axes you can attack it. I'm already not a huge fan of that. Um, I've been looking... People are super hyped on Displacer Kitten. I've been looking at deck over deck over deck that are trying to include it, and they're like, okay, how many ETB creatures do I have? Most decks only run like four, right? Although they are super critical, they are only four. Um, I feel like most of the time this is going to be a dead card. In some situations, you can do Spellseeker Lines, but including it just for Thoracle or just for Dockside, I feel like is not a reason to include this card. Um, I agree. That's my thoughts. I think most of the time it's going to be a, a dead draw unless you tutor it off spell. I'll, I'll, I'll give it credit. Like It's a good Spellseeker line. It can double up on Docksides. Yes, that's what the card does. But most of the time it's going to be this dead draw. You're going to have, like, like for you especially, you play this in Jeskai Ishai. Maybe your only creature is Ishai out with like eight counters and you're like, this card is absolutely useless. I wish it was any other card besides this in my hand right now. It's weird. I think you died to a bird that I ephemerated yesterday. I, I think you did. I, yeah, I, I think it's past your two minutes, so shut the fuck up. Then, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, I think it is underplayed. I think it can definitely see some uses, but I don't think it should be... Oh, what, what, what's this card slot I'm missing? Ephemerate, bam, put it in. I don't think it's that card whatsoever. I yeah. think there's other stuff to look at for the same effect. Why run this over a removal spell? Why why run this over a draw spell? I feel like you'd rather just play a bounce spell. Or that. In more situations. Yeah, like Alchemist Retrieval. Because it can target your opponent's stuff as well. Yeah, Mike, your thoughts? So, I'm actually in the middle, but I lean more towards agreeing with Adam here. Because, I mean, not just saying that because I'm a Jeskai player as well with mm -hmm. Elsha, because I do see the same lines he sees mm -hmm. in Elsha, but it's more like I see exactly what you guys are saying with, okay, well, you know, for three or four cards, it's not worth running it at all, especially if you don't draw into those cards or you don't have those cards in your hand. Mm -hmm. you're, you're absolutely right, Kian, that this may be a dead card if you don't have any of those cards in play. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, one thing you don't look at is it does have rebound and it also has the capability with breach as well which i understand that that doesn't say much because everything has value with breach mm -hmm. okay sure so that was feeding the fish that was feeding the fish it's a fun way it's kind of it's kind of funny and a little like hypocritical to do that after an episode on gatekeeping, gatekeeping but we're friends and we're friends like, here we already yeah. talked about it uh, yeah. we can share on each other because we can yeah, it's a fun way to communicate. Yeah. But otherwise, I think that was a great discussion on a somewhat controversial topic in the community. And before we end today, I think we have a few more triggers that we need to resolve in the cleanup. So, once again, shout out to all of our patrons. 
And special thanks to Cold Ramen and Granddad, who are our $25 supporters. And special thanks to Geo Justin, our $50 supporter. All the support for our, from our patrons has been absolutely amazing, and it's really helping us to improve the quality of our episodes and try to bring more content to our listeners. Thank you, everyone. Yep. Um, please join the Discord. We have a link in the description below. In the Discord, we do playdays with our Discord members, along with having, having patron-specific chats, episode discussion channels where you can talk about the podcast, like this episode today, and a whole section dedicated to local Wisconsin play, since that's where we play. Um, big news and collaborations with all of the Sad Nas boys is that we are starting to appear on your favorite content creators' channels, starting with Mental Misplay on July 19th. So please follow us on Twitter or join the Discord for all updates regarding these collabs. Links will be in the description. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We have been growing immensely as a channel, and we want to thank all of our listeners like you. The support has been overwhelming, and with that, I think it's time that we end the turn. So thank you again, and we'll see you next week. See you guys. See you. Later.